What's up guys, Ian Sandusky from Lakewood Machine and Tool back here again for the Let's Machine podcast. Before we get started, make sure you rate, subscribe, and share the podcast if you're enjoying the content so far. Um, like I've said before, this is one of the best ways to help out a podcast if you're looking to do so. For a little news from around the shop, we are turning and burning and keeping busy right now. Um, in the past, the end of the year, you know, the November, December end of the year really started to die off and then January February is where you you know started to see it pop off again where the orders started coming in and we started start getting slammed all over again this winter was a little different uh, for whatever reason we got absolutely slammed in December and in early January instead uh, we had more work than we knew what to do with and it seemed like everybody needed everything yesterday <laughs> I'm sure you know the feeling, so it was pretty stressful, but we got through it without putting anyone in a bad spot, so personally, I'll call that a success. Late January was actually pretty nice for us. Um, we had a bit of a slowdown on the new orders front. We kind of needed that in order to be able to catch up on some of the work for some of our more patient customers. We have two kinds of customers, more or less, here um, at Lakewood. We have the ones that are more rush-oriented. Um, you know, I've talked about this before in one of the other episodes about, you know, the rush-type work. And these are the guys who, you know, they order parts for a job. And they need our parts either ASAP or by a firm deadline so that they can build their components or machines or whatever and get their parts out the door for their deadline. The other kind are the customers that we have to order more for stock. So these are the kinds of customers that, you know, they build pretty consistent products. Um, you know, the electronics industry guys, the equipment industry guys. So they order anywhere from, you know, 30 to a few hundred parts when they see their start stock starting to get low. And they tend to be a lot more laid back when it comes to their delivery dates because very rarely do they order something the minute they run out? Usually they give themselves, you know, a buffer. So there's a little bit more leeway on those. It really pays to develop good relationships with the purchasers at these companies because they're the ones who are going to know whether a deadline on a purchase order is a hard and fast deadline or if, you know, sometimes guys, they just have to put a date on the PO because the PO has a spot to put a date. So they slap a date on there and they're like, ah, oh, sure, that'll work. I will say that you always want to try to hit even these, you know, soft deadlines for your customers, but knowing through those relationships, what's actually do or die and what can afford to get, you know, push back a week without ruffling any feathers can be absolutely critical. I mean, you never want to take on more work just because you can, but knowing that you can sneak something in for a customer who's in a bind or, you know, get some rush work done under the radar or you know throw it in the middle of your schedule it can really help ingratiate yourself to some of these other companies you know if you help someone out who's in a bind nine times out of ten they're gonna be a little less tight with their purse strings when it comes you know the next time to order as we're getting into the second week of February now we're starting to really pick up again um, we've had pretty much every machine in the shop running consistently uh, that's even including the wire machine and the manual lathe, more or less. Uh, we have a lot of big, for us, you know, what we would consider big, jobs running through the shop right now. 
So while all the machines are running and there's chips flying and spindles turning and the green lights aren't flashing, it's funny, you know, as a shop manager, it's a whole different breed of anxiety. Um, you know, as a guy who spends a lot of time on a lot of my day looking at quotes and spreadsheets and balance sheets, you know, I go and I see all the parts getting made, but because these bigger orders take longer to ship out, you're not getting that little dopamine hit every time you ship out parts. You know, you don't get that little hit throughout your day where you say, oh, I shipped out two orders today. And I laugh to myself because you always want to nail down the big jobs when you're quoting. You know, these are the ones you want to get, the ones where you can have some consistent work and there's not a ton of setup. You set it up once and it just runs and hopefully you can manage to make some money. But when they come, it's funnier, more often than not, just eager than more than anything, just to see them get out the door so you can start doing something else. You get tired of looking at it. I mean, we, uh, we recently got a big job to do some hand railing out of 6063 aluminum that we're gonna get anodized for a big, big, big installation in New York City. And I know it's gonna take likely a couple of weeks to run and while I was excited to get it because it's great work, you know, we did a sample, I know I've priced it right, I hope. There's still probably eight weeks before the material even gets here. And I'm already kind of dreading having to see it every day for a month once it shows up. It's, uh, it's a bit of a weird paradox and I'm not gonna pretend to understand it. But if you work in the day-to-day -day operations of a shop, you probably already know what I mean. To add to that, we just quoted out on another hand railing job for this customer. And if we got it, it would mean months of work. The scope is probably double or triple the one that we already have the PO for that uh, you know we're already in process of getting ready to do. And I haven't even got this new one yet. You know, I just quoted on it yesterday. And already I'm a little bit nervous about what that means for my capacity. The bit, I mean, that's the thing guys, if you haven't done it yet, I can't wait for you to quote on your first really big job. It's got this weird nervous energy to it that the smaller job quoting just doesn't have. I mean, if you quote out for something like 30 parts, great. You know, you definitely wanna give the quote the attention it deserves and small jobs do often lead to big jobs. But when you get the RFQ or request for quote for those big jobs, a million things go through your mind. Um, to start out, I mean, you have to look at the look at just look at the material. When you're quoting something that could literally be thousands of pounds of material, like for example, that aluminum hand railing job is something like six thousand pounds of aluminum. It's just not as simple as picking up a few bars from your local vendor or swinging swinging down to you know the retailer and grabbing a couple pieces of angle. Like this is big. You gotta often call around and find out if that much material is even available on short order you know even the biggest material vendors like the ThyssenKrupps of the world they only stock a few thousand pounds of any one size at any one time especially if it's not like some common nominal size you know especially if you're talking you want to start with some oddball stuff it may not even be available where you are you may need to get it brought in sometimes I need to get stuff brought in from the states sometimes I need to get stuff brought in from Montreal so you know it may not even be available right when you need it then once you find out if you can get it, you have to look at how much money that's gonna cost. You know, you have to think about the cost of that material and what that means to your operating costs and your weekly cash flow as a business. 
I mean, if you buy, let's say $50,000 worth of material and you have net 30 terms with your vendor and then it's gonna take you a month to do the work and you have net 30 terms with your customer, that means there's a 30 day gap if everything goes completely according to plan that you're gonna be out $50,000 from your bank account before you get paid. You need to be able to float that 50 grand for that month between when the money comes due for the material and when your invoice comes due with your customer. Then to add on to that, there's all the considerations about actually getting paid. I mean, we all like to think we're in bed with good people when it comes to business. But when you start to think about the customer, have you done a lot of work with them in the past? What if they've been late a few times on payment for the smaller jobs? But you know, this potential payday just looks too juicy to pass up. This is the first place guys can really get themselves into a lot of trouble. Um, I've seen it before, you know, a previously unknown company approaches a machine shop and they want to come in to get thousands and thousands of parts done. Oh, and it's going to be net 45 terms, non-negotiable, apparently. The shop gets all excited at the thought of some good paying work, quotes it out, does the work, and then poof, they find out why that previously unknown company hadn't sent them anything before. And it's because they're crooks who bounce from machine shop to machine shop, just leaving a trail of chaos, wreckage, and unpaid bills behind them. Guys, I've seen shops literally fold from just one of these scenarios happening. Just one. You know, it's not like you get a freebie in the business world or, you know, a free do-over. If you get nailed by something like this and you're done, the bank doesn't take get-out-of-jail-free cards. There's no save to load from, you know? This is where I usually make the call based on what I know about the company. If it's a huge job, even if I'm very tight with the company that's wanting to order, I 99% of the time, I'm gonna be pushing for a deposit on the work to be done. Um, usually at least the cost of the material, but sometimes it'll go all the way to 50% of the total job, upfront cash paid before we even start, before I even order material. That way, if everything goes south, you know, even if it goes completely sideways, I'm taking a lot less of a hit out of pocket. You know, the material is paid for, and at least some of my tool-up, fixturing, and labor costs will be covered. Um, I haven't had this unfortunate situation come up yet. I've had it come close. And I think by vetting your customers properly with credit references and credit applications, before ever offering terms, you can kind of minimize your exposure to this kind of risk. But I also think at some point, someone is likely either going to try to pull a fast one on you or fall into a situation where, you know, the customer who orders, they go out of business before the job gets done and, you know, the music stops, you're playing musical chairs, and there's nowhere left to sit. You're the one left holding the bag. The other part that contributes to your nervous energy when you're quoting a big job like this is, well, it's the quoting. It's uh, it's one thing to quote, to use the example from earlier, you know, 30 parts, 20 parts. Let's pretend that those 30 parts aren't some crazy aerospace component or they're not 30 parts that are 60 inches long. Let's just say they're 30 regular old fit in the palm of your hand parts. You know, what's the max profit gonna be on those? few hundred bucks, a couple of thousand if you're doing something, you know, really complicated in a rush. It's the kind of quote that, you know, definitely requires your full attention and it takes work to make sure you get it right. 
But now extrapolate that out to a job that's 3,000 parts or 30,000 or 300 really long parts, you know, 300 massive 20 by 60 plates. All of a sudden the stakes really go up, don't they? Like it's huge. If you flub on the quote for 30 parts and quote too low and you end up getting the job, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, you burn a day that you didn't expect because, you know, you missed a tight tolerance when you were quoting. Or maybe you lose out on a couple hundred bucks because you had to buy some tooling that you just didn't anticipate for. I mean, even if that job turns out to be an absolute dog and you're basically losing money on it, it's just 30 parts. So your weekly revenue, you know, it won't quite hit what you wanted it to for that week. But hopefully you have other work that does better than you'd hope for. And it all kind of balances out, right? You know, it's it's not going to be that big a deal. It's 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 a hiccup. Okay, so now translate that situation onto a job that's going to be a big part of your production and tie up a big part of your capacity for, let's say, even two months. Now, instead of losing money on, you know, one guy's work for a day, you can find yourself in a situation where you're basically wrapping parts in $100 bills just to get them out the door. It's... The scenario where even if your customer does pay you on time, even up front, it can still quickly spiral into a really, really big problem. Because let's face it, how many times have you quoted a job, done the work, and then went to your customer and asked for more money? It's a terrible situation to be in. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I have had to do it a couple times over the years, but generally those situations have come up in a situation where, you know, I'm massively underquoted, I clearly missed something. And, you know, I'm not trying to fault anybody but myself, but the customer kind of knew it. You know, they decided not to say something. They usually get this work done for, let's say, 100 bucks. Somehow I completely messed up, quoted it for 20, and they didn't choose to say anything and say, hey, are you sure? Did you catch this? Like, 20 bucks sounds really cheap. They just went along with it. So when I came back to them and said, listen, you and I both know that this was not a realistic number. I really need to do something about this. They've generally been fine with it. Um, you know, I've never asked for a ton. I've just said, listen, this is what I need to not completely bleed out on this deal. And they've always been happy with it. But those have not been the huge jobs. You know, when you get onto these huge jobs, very rarely is this customer going to be doing this huge job to be the end recipient for the parts. You know, this is not something they're doing for themselves most of the time, exclusively. You know, for example, this big hand railing job, we're doing it for a fabrication company. And the fabrication company is doing a bunch of work on this building. So they've been hired out by an architectural firm, and the architectural firm has been hired out by the developer, and the developer answers to a board of directors. And so all along the way, these companies have been given their budgets and built the pricing of the guys down the line into their costs. So if you come back halfway through a two month job crying for more money, the company you're crying to may actually have no ability to actually help you out because if they did, they would end up blowing it all themselves and they could go under, you know, it's, it's the way the world works. The opposite when it comes to quoting these big jobs is also true. For any of you guys who have read up on negotiation and game theory, and there's a lot of great books out there on this, you'll know that while quoting high and setting, you know, what they call an extreme anchor, an extreme anchor is when you set a price really, really high or really, really low, whether you're trying to buy or sell, it's a point to negotiate from. 
and it works in some situations you know where you quote out a hundred thousand dollars to start because really you're hoping to settle at sixty thousand dollars so you gauge them high and you work down that doesn't work when the company who is getting the quote is also getting this job quoted out at three other places i feel like that's something a lot of these books and scenarios miss you know when you have other people that are not playing that game unless you have a really really established relationship with the company you're quoting for they're probably not even going to give you another kick at the can if you come in way higher than the next shop why would they you know if you come in way over the top what's in it for them to come back to you rather than going with a company that's quoted it realistically I mean, it's it's a tough predicament. It's uh, it's a lot like the game show, you know, The Price is Right, where you need to come in as high as you can without going over, and you don't necessarily know what that magic tipping point is going to be before, you know, you're over and it's done. Let's face it, you know, while all of us love machining and manufacturing, our businesses exist to put food on the table for, you know, both our, our families and our guys' families. We got to take care of the guys that work for us. And the better margins that we have, the more we can offer to our guys. The more we can reinvest into the company, um, the more quality of life things we can put in, the more better machines we can bring in. You know, you when it comes to quoting work for other companies, you don't get any brownie points or ch good charity or good Samaritan awards for helping another company make more money at your expense. You know, <laughs> there's no... There's no holy points you get for being the martyr in that situation and letting other people make more money because you're making less money. Um, it, it's just the way the world works, you know? My strategy for this is you have to have that really good working relationship with the companies I that you do work for. And that's built by not being greedy and developing a level of trust to begin with. If I do my best to make sure that my pricing on jobs is fair and I'm not trying to take advantage of anyone, I'm going to develop a reputation with my customers that I don't try to skin them alive every time they send me work to quote on, you know? Um, they know that if they're sending me work, I'm going to be fair. And that means they're going to be a lot more open to letting me know if I've got it wrong and I should probably try again. Um, you know, my go-to line once I've developed this relationship is to tell them when I send the quote, hey, listen, thank you very much for sending this along. Thank you very much for letting me take a look. If I need to move on pricing to secure this order, please let me know and I will see if there's anything we can do to make it work. That's it. You know, it it sounds kind of funny because my knee-jerk reaction to this, if I had somebody say it to me, would be, well, hey, bud, you know, why don't you go right now, do a little more work, and see if you can save me more money. You know, it's a, it's a fine line to tread because you don't want to come off as actually having room to move or why wouldn't they ask for a price reduction right off the bat? You know, it's if you're saying, hey, here's the price, but I can take some money out, they're going to say, okay, take the money out. You know, it, it's, it's an odd line to tread. But for whatever reason, this seems to work. And I think it's because it shows that you know, I'm at least open to trying again without coming off like I'm being apologetic for what I'm charging. A lot of it really comes down to the fact that I personally firmly believe that what we charge is fair for the work we do. Um, I don't intentionally try to chisel anybody ever, or I don't try to ask for more than what I believe is a fair shop rate for what the work is being, the work that needs doing. 
Um, so if the customer comes back and asks why a price point is where it is, I'm very easily able to talk intelligently and walk someone through who, you know, may not be super familiar with machining, why a price costs what it costs. You know, hey, there's angled, angled holes here and so I need a fixture to hold that. Or hey, you know, you've got one thou tolerances everywhere on this drawing. So it's gonna cost more because I need to be a lot tighter with our quality control. You know, someone may not understand that. So I'm very comfortable when I quote something, being able to talk about that. Um, and, you know, essentially explain, I don't wanna call it rationalize, but explain why a price is where it is. At the end of the day, you're gonna get some people who will give you another kick at the can and some people won't. And frankly, guys, you can't win them all. So it's not worth worrying more about it once you sent that quote than you have to, because it, it is what it is. If you've done your work, that's all you can do. The other consolation I will put out here when it comes to quoting out these really big jobs is that in my experience, something like 70% of them guys, they're not real. They're not real. They're not. Uh, a perfect example would be this really big handrailing job that I've talked about here, um, you know, that I just quoted out yesterday. If you think about it, does my customer actually want to price on this job? Yes, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. You know, does my customer actually have this job? Or are they just one of four companies quoting out on it? Does their customer know what they want? Or, you know, am I being asked to quote out down the line on one of three options that they're considering for this? And they haven't even chosen, chosen. They haven't even made the selection yet, right? Sometimes you'll be asked to quote on a big lots of parts just strictly as a pricing exercise. And you may have no idea. Um, your customer may be trying to show their customer that what they're asking for just doesn't make any financial sense. Or your customer may be trying to figure out you know, what kind of price breaks at quantities they're gonna get if they order in lots of 10,000 instead of 100, just so that purchaser has something to talk about in the meeting with their boss that day. You know, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, most of my biggest quotes, you know, the ones where you have a number that's getting into like seven figures, they've literally been dead on arrival. Um, I go as far to say that there was absolutely nothing wrong with my pricing, um, but there's so much going on behind the scenes with even a small quote that when you extrapolate that up to a huge quote and think of how many more people are involved in that decision, how many people could veto that for no reason, um, how many people need to sign off to make that deal happen, you know, it's it's just part of business. Occasionally they'll work out, but the bigger the quote gets, the, in my opinion, the less chance it really exists of happening. Um, so, you know, don't get too stressed out. <laughs> That's all I can say. In any case, guys, I hope this has been helpful. So I hope you do keep some of these considerations in mind when you do get your shot at the big quote. Thanks again for listening, guys. Make sure you like, subscribe, review, and share the podcast if you'd like to support us. And if you're enjoying this content, you can find more of my videos on the Practical Machinist YouTube channel at youtube.com slash practical machinist. And I host the Machine Shop Talk and the Making the Cut video series over there. Thanks again for checking this out. You take care.